We're going to be in the book of Colossians again this morning, Colossians chapter number one. If you will, last week we looked at several verses dealing with Christ, who he is, and why that matters. And we found that in verse number 18 of this chapter, we're told that he is the head of the body, the church, which who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. That's why it matters who Jesus is, because he is to be the preeminent one in our lives and in his church. And uh, this morning we're going to kind of pick it up somewhat where we left off. We looked at verse 19 uh, briefly last week, but we'll start in verse 19 and move on through there. So if you've reached Colossians 1, I'd encourage you to stand as we read the scriptures together. Colossians 1, we'll read verses 19 through 23 this morning. It says, For it pleased the Father that in him, that's in Jesus, should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. I want to just go back and read once again verse 21 where it says, And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. And I want to just preach to you this morning on that subject of reconciled, being reconciled to God, reconciled. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, these next few moments as we look into your word, we need your help. Father, we need the illumination of the Holy Spirit to give understanding to our hearts that are so uh, incapable, really, of grasping spiritual truth apart from uh, your spirit that you've given to us. Give us that unction from the Holy One today and speak to us. And Lord, I pray that you would go beyond just giving us that understanding in a, in a technical sense, but Lord, would you help us to see how these truths apply to us, and Lord, may we rejoice today in the fact that we're reconciled, but also may we live like it in order to be pleasing to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you be seated this morning? Thank you for standing. I don't know if you have spent much time considering this, but obviously the primary message of the whole Bible is Jesus Christ and him crucified. And, and this chapter that we've been looking at has taken some time and really lifted up and exalted Christ and who he is and also uh, mentioned and discussed to some degree the work that he has done in our lives. But so often we consider the salvation that we have and we look at it really only from one side of it or one aspect. We tend to look at it through the lens of salvation existing in order to give us uh, uh, hope of eternal life, that we might know that we're saved, that we're not 
on the road to hell, and that certainly is a wonderful thing. But, uh, but have you ever really considered that God begins a purpose in you at the moment of salvation, but that purpose is not fulfilled until the end of your life? I mean, from the moment of salvation all the way through until he calls you home, God is working on you. And he has started a work in us, and he has, uh, is continuing that work in us. And this uh, passage that we just read really d details that. It discusses with us uh, the, the work that the Lord has done and is doing in our lives. And that word reconciled really comes up several times. If you look at verse number 20, it says, "...having made peace through the blood of his cross..." by him to reconcile all things unto himself. Verse 21, And you that were sometime uh, alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. This is who we are in Christ. But notice that it says in verse 22 that he has done this to present us holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. In other words, there's a purpose in this reconciliation. God didn't just save us because uh, he didn't want to see us die and go to hell, but he actually has reconciled us for a purpose. So as we look through this passage of scripture this morning, I want to just point out several aspects of it that we, we note here as we read through it. And hopefully it will help us to understand what it is that God wants to do in our lives. And the first thing I want to point out to you is our position in Christ, our position. Verse 20 again Speaking of Jesus, it says that he made peace, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Have we ever stopped to consider that, uh, that God has made peace with us, not based on our terms, but on his? That he was willing actually to shed his own blood so that we could be at peace. He made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. Verse 21, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. This is our position in Christ. We were alienated from God. We were separated from God. We were enemies of God. Is that not what it says? We were alienated and enemies in our mind by wicked works. Our sin separated us from God. Uh, the prophet Isaiah said it this way, your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Our, our sin is actually a barrier that, that gets in between us and God. It happened from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden there. And they took of that fruit. And the very first thing that happened was they saw themselves as naked. They realized their shame. They heard the voice of the Lord God. And what did they do? They hid themselves from God. Sin separates us from God. And every one of us was separated from God. But speaking to a group of people who are born again, he says, now, even though you were alienated and enemies, you have been reconciled. You have been brought back into fellowship. Isn't that a wonderful truth? Listen, friend, I, I did not have any... There is nothing in me that was worth saving, I promise. But the Lord in his mercy, reached down to me and restored me unto himself. I have been reconciled. I have been brought back into fellowship with God. And so have you if you're a child of God. You've been reconciled to him. 
Now this is important for us to understand because reconciliation requires that there was an estrangement that had taken place. You see, I talk to a lot of people today that uh, have this idea that, well, I'm a Christian, uh, I, I, I know the Lord, I go to church, I, I try to do what God wants me to do, but when you talk to them and you really try to drill down, when did you come to know, to know the Lord? When did you become a child of God? They'll say something to you like, well, I've kind of always been a Christian. I've always believed in God. I've always been religious. I've, I've, you know, I've always done, you know, I, I would say I've always been a Christian. Friend, I want you to know, nobody has always been a Christian. There is no such thing that doesn't work. In fact, the very statement that you have been reconciled requires that there was a time when you were alienated from God. If you were never estranged, then you couldn't be reconciled. You see, I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, I've been married to my wife uh, for 15 years. And I'm thankful for our relationship. I'm thankful for the, the way that the Lord has, has brought us together. But I cannot describe our relationship as one of reconciliation. There's never been a time that we've been estranged from one another. Now, I, I'm not saying that there's never been a time that there has, hasn't been tension or issues or things like that. But, but unless there has been division, unless we had been separated or divorced or something and then came back together, if there had never been estrangement, there could not be reconciliation. And folks, it's important for us to understand that prior to reconciliation, we are enemies and alienated from God. There was a time that I was there. And there was a time that you were there. And some of you still may be there, honestly. I'm not trying to be unkind or, or hurtful or anything like that. But you need to understand, until you recognize the estrangement, you can't be reconciled. And so here, here you have him saying we've been reconciled to God because we were enemies, because we were alienated, because we were estranged. You have not always been a Christian. There was a time that you were an enemy of God, that you were alienated from God, just as I, am, I was. Romans chapter 3 and verse number 10 tells us that, that as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Verse 23 says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us was separated from God. But because of the blood of Jesus Christ and, and the blood that he shed on the cross, we have an opportunity to be brought back into fellowship with God. I want you to hold your place here in Colossians, but go back with me if you would to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5, we're talking about our position in Christ. And I want you to notice in verse number 18 of 2 Corinthians 5, it says, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now Paul is talking about his ministry, and really the ministry of every Christian, but in doing so he's describing the work of Christ. And what does he say that Christ did? God was in Christ, in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. In other words, that he is, he is not uh, requiring of us, or is he, he is not demanding payment for our trespasses from us. He's not imputing those things 
unto us. Our trespasses are not being placed on us. Actually, our trespasses are placed upon Jesus Christ. What does he say in uh, verse number 21? For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Here's what happened. God the Father imputed our sin, our trespasses, unto his own Son. In order that we could have the righteousness of God imputed unto us, that we could receive his righteousness. And for everyone who has ever been saved, that's exactly what has happened to you. Christ took your sin so that you could take his righteousness. He took your death so that you could have his life. Isn't that amazing, the the replacement that took place at the moment of salvation? Christ stood in your place so that you can stand in his place. That's just amazing to me. In fact, the choir sang about that a moment ago. It's a sweet exchange that, that Christ would take our sin. So that we could take his righteousness. We've been reconciled, restored to fellowship with God. This is who we are positionally in Christ. To everyone who knows the Lord. Why does that matter? Go back with me to Colossians 1. Our position is important for us to be aware of. We were enemies and alienated in our mind by wicked works. But we've been reconciled for a purpose. Verse 22, look at this. In the body of his flesh, through death, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. God has saved us in order to present us. Now this word present, it's a very interesting word. It it, it comes from the Greek word uh, peristemi. And it has this idea of standing before or being presented to. Uh, if, if, if I uh, told my, my children, I want you to clean your room. And when you're done cleaning your room, I want you to come and get me and I'm going to come and check it and see how good of a job you did. In that moment, when they come and get me and I come into their room and I look at what they've done. They are presenting their work to me. This is what we did. This is a a presentation. And this particular word is translated to stand before or to stand by, uh, to present or to reveal. At times it's uh, translated uh, to yield. It's the same word that we find in Romans 12 and verse 1 where it says, I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Uh, It's actually the same word that's translated in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God. That word show is translated from that same word to present yourself approved unto God. Romans 6 where we're told that we're to not yield ourselves as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. That word yield is the same word to, to, to give ourselves over. This is the word that's used to describe what God wants to do through us. In us. He, he wants to present us ultimately to himself. Ephesians 5 talks about this with With the church that Christ died and gave himself for the church that he might present it to himself. A glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. 
but that it should be holy and, and without blame. This is what God wants to do. He wants to present us unto himself holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. But I think maybe the most powerful example that I can give you of this word to present is found over in Romans chapter 14. So would you go there with me, Romans 14, and I want to look with you at verses 10 through 12, and the word here, same Greek word behind it, peristemi, but it's not translated so much present here as it is translated to stand. In Romans chapter number 14, verse number 10, here's what it says. But why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all, and here's the word, stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. This concept, this word to present, it refers to a time in the future where we will be brought before the Lord in judgment, presented before him. Where he will look at our lives and examine us, and according to the, the, the New Testament concept of the judgment seat of Christ, to receive the reward for the works done here in this life. We will be presented before the Lord. And his desire is that we would be presented before him holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. That there would be nothing, that he could have nothing against us. Now again, I want to go back for just a moment to that statement about our position in Christ. Because there is something really amazing about this that when... Christ's righteousness is imputed to us, we receive absolute forgiveness and righteousness from God. In a positional sense, we are made right with God at the moment of our salvation. And I'm thankful for that. When, when I received Christ as my Savior, back in 1993, I called unto the Lord and asked for His forgiveness for my sin, and He cleansed me and saved me and washed me from my sins and cleansed me from all unrighteousness and my sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. Positionally before God, I was made righteous and I stand before you in that sense today, righteous before God. I'm thankful for that and today again I just want to remind you if you have not been saved, if there's never been a day in your life, a moment in your life that you are reconciled to God, where you saw yourself as the sinner, the enemy of God, that he sees you as. And you came to him understanding that your only hope was Jesus and the blood he shed. And that, at that day, at that moment, you cried out to God for his mercy, for his forgiveness. If there has never been a time in your life when you were born again, when you were reconciled, then you're still in the position of an enemy alienated from God. I'm thankful uh, for Miss Kim over here. I don't want to call you out or embarrass you, but today is, is the 45-year anniversary of the day that she was reconciled to God through salvation. 
And I'm thankful for that. And I know all of us here uh, that know Christ, we have a testimony. There, there was a time in our life where the Lord opened our eyes to our position, to our, to our problem. And, and we turned from that sin to Jesus and called upon him and we were saved. And we were reconciled to God. And if you have not received Christ, if there's never been that moment in your life, you need to be reconciled to God. You need to be saved. I'm thankful that I know that I'll stand before him positionally sanctified, saved, justified. And in that sense, holy and unblameable and unreproachable, uh, unrebukable, unreprovable, the word is here in verse 22, in his sight. However, there is actually even more to it than just salvation. Salvation is that which brings us back into fellowship with God. It's that which gives us uh, the, the, the open door to eternal life. We've been saved through the blood of Jesus Christ, not of anything that we have done. But did you know that God doesn't just want to save you and leave you as you are? He doesn't just want to say, you know, positionally you have been saved and so you're good to go, you know, come on home to heaven. Now, again... He does that sometimes for people. People will get saved on their deathbed, and, and I'm thankful that, that God is merciful in that way. But for most of us, he leaves us here on this earth to actually work his righteousness in our lives and through us. There is something that he wants to do in us to, to make us holy, to make us unblameable and unreprovable. In his sight. To sanctify us and cleanse us. We're in Colossians. Go back just a couple of pages. To the book of Philippians in chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. And verse number 6. Notice what it says here. Paul says. Being confident of this very thing. That he which hath begun a good work in you. Will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Until the day that God calls you home, Jesus is, is working in you. God is working in you. The one who began a good work in you is continuing to work in you to make you holy. To, to purge some things out of your life. And folks, I just want to say to you that this is really important. The perspective is, there is a day I'm going to be presented before the Lord. There's a day I'm going to stand before Him. And I ought not think that just because I'm saved and I know that I'm going to heaven, that I don't have to be concerned about the way that I live my life from day to day. Because God's concerned about that. God cares about it. And someday, when I'm presented before the Lord, it's going to matter. Now, it won't change my eternal destination. I am, I am heaven bound, and nothing can change that. However... I'm going to give account to the Lord for my life. And his desire for me is that I would be holy and without blame and without a need for reproof. The truth is, so often, friends, I think we're, we're, we're so confident in our eternal salvation as we should be, but we actually become lax sometimes in considering and living with that perspective. Someday I'm going to answer to God. I'm going to be presented before him. Friend, one day you're going to stand before God and give account for your life. 
You must be born again. You have to be saved. If, if not, listen, this is not going to go well. You read the book of Revelation and what does it say? At the end of the book, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. If you have never been saved, Jesus said, except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. You must be saved. That's, that's elementary. That's foundational. I mean, that's, that's step one. You've got to be born again. And if you're saved, you can thank the Lord that you have the promise of eternal life. But that's not all that there is to this. Even those who know the Lord will give account for our lives. And his desire for us is that we would be presented holy. Can I ask you, in as loving a way as I know how, are you concerned in your life about personal holiness? Because God is. God cares about your holiness. He, he wants you to be holy. Are you, are you concerned about being unblameable and unreprovable before the Lord? Or are you willing to say, yeah, I don't really care if I displease my God. I don't care if I, if I uh, go against the work that he did in my life. Think about this. Think of the price that was paid to purchase our salvation. That Christ himself, the sinless son of God, would actually, literally, spiritually speaking, become sin for us. To take our sin upon himself. To have our trespasses imputed to him and die in that place. So that we could be made the righteousness of God in him. And then how can we accept that and receive that righteousness and go about life so flippantly... We just don't really care. We're willing to go out and live just like the world and indulge in the sinful things of the world and just be kind of carnal. Hey, you know what? I'm saved and so I'm going to go to heaven. Friend, there's more to it than that. I'm thankful that I, I, I can sin, I can mess up and, and fail and yet the Lord's mercy is, is greater and where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. I'm thankful for that. But friend... Do we live life with this perspective that someday my life is to be presented before the Lord? And every moment that I lived and every word that I spoke and every thought and, and, and all the energy that I spent, it, it's, it's to be for the Lord. Christ reconciled us in order that he might present us to himself holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. That should matter to us. We should care about that day that we're going to be presented before the Lord. And then I want you to notice this, and this is, I think, a very important aspect and element of this that we kind of avoid sometimes. Verse 23, there's a word, if. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Now this verse and verses like this have often been misunderstood and misrepresented to teach 
that it's possible that you could lose your salvation. In other words, it would be possible for you to be saved and then not, what is the word, continue in the faith. That if, that if there's a, a, a point in time where you turn away from the hope of the gospel, that you will then uh, lose your salvation. And there are people that teach that. Friend, I want you to know that that is not at all a biblical understanding of this passage or any other passage of Scripture. Let me give you a couple of examples uh, or, or statements. Here's a, a simple one that we all know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have what? Everlasting life. Listen, if, if it's possible for me to lose it, it's not everlasting. How about this one? John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. They follow me. Verse 28. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Now, if that is true, could Jesus say that? I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish. No man shall pluck them out of my hand. Is that true if it's possible for me to lose my salvation? No. Salvation is either eternal or it's not. And I'm thankful that I have eternal life. 1 John 5 and verse 13, what does it say? These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. I know that I have eternal life because of what Jesus did. So what is this if? If ye continue in the faith. Well, there are a couple of things about that. First of all, let me just say, and this is kind of an application. If at some point I don't continue in the faith, how can I really plan to stand before the Lord unblameable and unreprovable? And there are some people, I really believe, that maybe have even been genuinely saved, but they've allowed false doctrine and heresy to creep in, and they're, they're going to have to answer for that at the judgment seat of Christ. I think if you read the book of Galatians, the book of Galatians was kind of about these people that had abandoned the biblical understanding of grace in, in salvation, and we're going back to a works-based salvation. And the term that Paul uses, if, if you've done that, you've fallen from grace. He's not saying they lost their salvation, but they've, they've moved away from the hope of the gospel in that sense. But he seems to be writing to them as those that are saved. However, there's another aspect, and I think a more accurate understanding of this particular verse of Scripture, and that is what would be known as perseverance. Now, I want to be careful with that term because I don't want to, again, I don't want to make it sound as though my salvation is dependent upon me persevering and continuing. But rather, the biblical understanding is this, that if I am truly born again, I will continue in the faith. If I am a child of God, I will continue. In fact, this word if, and again, I don't want to get too, um, too deep into this, but the word if actually comes from a word that, that, that assumes something to be true. In other words, uh, often I will make a statement in, in a church as I'm preaching, 
I'll make a statement. If you've been saved, and then I will go on uh, and describe what, what should be a reality in your life. Now, I understand, I hope you understand, when I'm preaching to Mount Zion Baptist Church, I am preaching with the assumption that the majority of the audience has been born again. But I also am aware that there are, there is at any given time probably someone or some individuals within the congregation that have not truly been born again. And so I don't just want to assume something that may not be true of everyone. And so I'll use the word if, if you've been saved, because I, th this only applies if you've been born again. It doesn't just apply because you're a member of Mount Zion Baptist Church. And so this word if, it, it comes with that assumption that this is true. Paul is writing this to the Colossians saying, if you continue in the faith with the idea, I know you're going to continue. How do I know that? Because you've been born again. And if you've been born again, you'll continue. That, that's the idea. I want to show you this in scripture just a little bit more. First John chapter 2, if you would, please. First John chapter 2 and verse number 19. He's speaking about false teachers and antichrists. And he says in verse 19 of 1 John 2, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For had they been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that it might be made manifest that they were not all of us. What is he saying? The fact that they have turned away from the faith, that they have rejected salvation by grace through faith, that they are denying the Lord. Listen, that is evidence, yea, it is proof. Not that they lost their salvation, but that they were never truly saved to begin with. They went out from us, but they were not of us. <laughs> that implies they, they, we thought they were one of us, but they obviously weren't because their, the, the fruit of their life was proof that they were not truly saved. Folks, I, I want you to know, I think when we get to heaven, we're going to be really surprised by some of the people that aren't there. But it's not about who continues and perseveres in the sense that we our, our salvation is dependent upon us and what we do or don't do. But it is true that if someone is a child of God, there will be a continuance. There will be a perseverance. You will continue in the faith. I know that the Lord not only saved me, but he keeps me. But he also keeps me in the faith. Paul is saying, listen, if you've been saved, if you, if you're, if you continue in the faith, these things are true of you. And the, the, your life is proving out the work of the Holy Spirit in you. Why is this important, friend? It's important because we need to be very, very clear. There is a watered-down gospel that is being preached out there. That so long as you pray the sinner's prayer, and you, there, you know, there's some, some, some time in your life, maybe you were at a, a, a Sunday school class or a Christian concert or whatever it was, and Someone said, do you want to be saved? Just raise your hand or pray this prayer. And you did that, that you're good. You're covered now. You've got your insurance. And whatever you do, it doesn't matter. That is not, that is not biblical salvation. 
Biblical salvation is this. I, because of my sin, am alienated an enemy of God by my own wicked works. And He, in His mercy and His love, took upon Him the form of human flesh, and He walked on this earth and lived a sinless life, went to the cross and He took your sins and my sins upon Himself, and shed His blood to make peace with God on my behalf. He reconciled me to himself through salvation, opened my eyes to my sin and to the gospel. And by grace, through faith, I've been saved. And the Holy Spirit came and took up residence in me. And the work that he began in me at the moment of salvation, he's still working out through me that I might be presented before him, holy and unblameable and unreprovable, in his sight. And friend, if you, if you say, well, you know, I'm good. I, I'm covered. So, so many people, when you, when you ask them about salvation, oh yeah, I did that. What, what do you mean you did that? First of all, you don't do anything. He does everything. I, I, didn't, I didn't do anything to save myself. God saved me. But guess what? The work that he began in me, he's still performing in me. He's still working in me. And I ought to be living my life day by day by day with this perspective that one day I'm going to be presented before him and give account for my life. Folks, this stuff matters. One more place I want to show you near the end of the Bible, just before the book of Revelation, is the little one-chapter book of Jude. And in Jude, verse number... 24, I want you to notice these words. It says, Now unto him, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. Let's just stop there for a moment. Who is able to keep you from falling? Oh, I'm, I'm just going to try really hard and, and do what is right. No, 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 no. Unto him that is able to keep you from falling. Look at verse 25. To the only wise God, our Savior. Who is able to keep me from falling? God is able to keep me from falling. It's not an effort of myself. It's not my own works. It's not my flesh. I don't keep myself from falling. He keeps me from falling. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory. Notice these words, with exceeding joy. Now, I'll be honest, I've looked at the grammar on that a little bit, and I'm not really sure whose joy that is. Is that referring to my joy being presented before his glory to... to in a, in a, I, I'm going to be presented faultless before him? Is that my joy or is that his joy? I, I think it's probably both. God is able to do that. Folks, we've been reconciled. If we've been saved, we've been reconciled to God that we might be presented before him holy and unblameable 
and unreprovable and faultless before his presence. And listen, if you are saved, you will continue. How do I know that? Because it's not you that keeps you in the faith. It's him that keeps you in the faith. And he is able to keep you from falling. So to the person who says, well, how do I know? What if I, you know, what, what if I really mess up? Is it possible that I have fallen from grace? No, you can't fall from grace and lose your salvation because it's not you that keeps you from falling. It's him that keeps you from falling. But I also want to say to you that it's important we consider, is our life reflecting outwardly what God has been and is doing inwardly in our life to make us holy, if the answer to that is no, something is wrong. Either we are grieving the Holy Spirit who is actively working in our life to make us holy, to sanctify us, and we're rejecting that, or is it possible that maybe we were never truly born again to begin with? Because God's desire is not just to give us a fire escape from hell, but to present us to himself holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Is that happening in your life? Is that a reality in, in you? Again, I'm not asking you to sanctify yourself, to make yourself holy. I'm saying if you know the Lord, if you've been saved, he is working in you to make you holy. And if you will yield your life to him, he will do that in you through you let's go back to Colossians 1 as we close and I want to just read verses 20 through 22 again it says and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you, you, that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Two questions for you. First of all, have you been reconciled to God? Has there been a time in your life where you realize that because of your sin, because of your wicked works, you were alienated and an enemy of God and that your only hope of restoration was the blood of Jesus Christ? Not your good works, not your baptism, not your religion, not by turning over a new leaf, but by the blood of Jesus Christ alone, you turned to him and called upon him and received his gift of reconciliation, eternal life. Have you been reconciled? Secondly, if you have been reconciled, if you are a child of God, is there an awareness in your day-to-day -day life that God is working in me that he might present me to himself holy and unblameable and unreprovable? If so, there ought to be some evidence of that. I mean, it, to live with that perspective and that understanding, would that not change some things in our lives and the way that we make decisions and the things that we say and do? 
understanding that God wants certain things of me. He's working in me to make me what he wants me to be. Have you been reconciled and are you living as one who has been reconciled? 